0: Let's open up to uh, the book of Isaiah, and we're going to continue going through, uh, we're going to continue going through Isaiah, just in case you're wondering, it's a 23rd book in the Bible, <coughs> uh, the beginning of the prophets. And as we began the, going through the book of Isaiah, one of the cool things to consider, and, and really particularly most of the time we go through any prophets, any of the books of prophecy, most of the books of prophecy don't follow a chronology. What that means is it's, it's just the, the visions. It's just the word that God gave the prophets. And, and he writes them down in the, in the way that he writes them down. And as we go through, we'll see that God orchestrates it all. He puts it all together as, in a way that you and I are able to make sense of it today. That's what's so cool about the Lord. He goes through and not only did the prophet bring the word to the people of his time, but the way God puts it together for us in his word, he brings word for us still today. Now remember when we look at Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecies primarily concern Judah. Remember in the history of Israel, Israel came to a point where it was divided. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. One kingdom was called Israel, the other kingdom was called Judah. In Israel ten tribes were with them, in Judah there were two. Remember we've already talked about the fact that just because the leadership of those tribes don't think that all twelve tribes weren't represented by the people of the tribes in each of the kingdoms. What that means is in the ten kingdoms of the north, there were people from all twelve tribes living. We can't assume that only Judah and Benjamin ...of the southern tribes were the only holy ones. And we can't consider that Judah and Benjamin didn't decide they wanted to go live with their evil northern neighbors. When we talk about the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, no good kings. Nothing good come out of that period of time. That period of time was just a a ruckus. They had one bad king after another bad king, followed pagan rituals, sacrificed their children, everything that you can imagine took place in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, it was both good and bad. They had good times, bad times. They had times where they had leaders that were following the Lord. Other times they had kings that were just like the northern kingdom. What we see is the Lord brings judgment upon the northern kingdom first. The kingdom of Israel is taken into bondage by the Assyrian kingdom, and through that through that uh, battle and that bondage, uh, captivity that they were placed into, you have the Samaritans of the time of Jesus. The people from the ten tribes that were left behind that the Assyrians didn't wipe out, intermarried, intermixed with other Gentiles, and they became what became known as half-breeds to the Jewish people or the Samaritans. The southern kingdom is going to go into captivity to Babylon. And when we study Daniel... We saw that captivity. It was a totally different captivity. The Assyrians were cruel. They wiped out and destroyed a lot of the people. The Babylonians were not that way. The Babylonians assimilated people into their kingdom. That would be during the time of Daniel. For 70 years they were there. And then the Lord called them back into the land to move forward. The interesting thing is through that captivity, God in essence cures their idolatry. Never again do they fall into idol worship. Now, they have other struggles, but the Lord cures that part for them during that period of time. So as we look at that, that's the period of time that Isaiah is on the scene, and primarily Isaiah is going to be laying things out for Judah, the southern kingdom. There were other prophets that went to the northern kingdom, but Isaiah here, he's prophesying to the southern kingdom. We start in chapter 5 tonight. As we take a look, he begins, Now let me sing to my well-beloved the song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Now this is a pretty incredible prophecy that is being laid out here uh, as a song, and then later on he describes it or or gives a lesson from that song. But he's going to describe a vineyard for us, that, that there is a vineyard, God has a vineyard. Says, My well beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and he cleared out the stones, he planted it with the choicest vine, he built a tower in its midst, and he made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Literally the term is undesirable, noxious, poisonous. It's a it's an idea that the grapes were not good for anything that had come out upon that vine. Verse 3 says, O now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I have done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Now please tell me what I will do to my vineyard. Then the Lord describes, I will take away its hedge, and it will be burned. And break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. I will lay a waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. When we look at this judgment that the Lord is talking about coming upon the nation of Judah, it's important for us to realize God told the children of Israel from the beginning if you're getting off track, if you are drifting away from me, if you're falling into sin, one of the primary signs that God said He would give is He said, I'll withhold the rain. It's important for you to realize, if you go to Israel today, Israel is not a land flowing with water. It's flowing with milk and honey. But it wasn't a land flowing with water. There was a lot of dry farming there. In order for them to have crops, they needed rain. So when God withheld the rain... It was to them, the Lord said, a warning. Hey, guys, you're off track. And he said, all you have to do is turn toward me, repent, the rain will come, and we'll be able to go. So they had a, an, a, a sign that God gave them so that they would know, hey, we're getting off track or, or we're on track. And so what would happen is the famine would come, but the people would ignore the famine, and they would go down to Egypt or they would go to some other country to meet their need rather than relying on the Lord. So rather than that being a warning for them to turn, they would continue to go more and more and more disobedient. And as we look at the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, they saw the northern kingdom, how bad they were, and they knew they needed judgment, but they were less willing to receive the fact that they were in just as bad a shape. One of the biggest struggles for us as believers is when we begin to examine our relationship with god based on the person sitting next to us or behind us or the people the other people that we know as christians as soon as we start saying i'm not as bad as them then we're totally off track god lays out for us that jesus is the rule he's the mark he's the goal he's the one we should measure ourselves to not into one another when we measure to one another what's that mean well, I'm better than him, so I'm okay, so I'm not going to address any of the issues in my life. I'll just keep trucking. And I'll find myself just like Judah, backslidden away from the Lord, not where I need to be, not where God desires me to be, and I'm deaf to God calling me because I'm too busy judging myself by the people around me. Our relationship with God needs to be focused on drawing near to Jesus Christ, Being like him. Let the mind of Christ dwell in you, that we have that as our goal. We're focused on that. But Judah was a little bit off track. Now, listen, we want to know who the vineyard is. And before I get up here and tell you a bunch of crazy stuff about the vineyard, we're just going to let the Bible tell us. That works out pretty good, doesn't it? He tells us, verse 7 For the vineyard of the Lord is, or the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. When he talks about the house of Israel, he's not talking about a kingdom, is he? He's not saying the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel, the house of Israel. The house of Israel had all 12 tribes a part of it. So he's, this is talking about all the people. Hey, the vineyard, the vineyard is a symbol for the house, not the nation. When we talk about the nation, we're going to be looking at a fig tree. When we talk about the house of Israel... We're going to be talking about a vineyard. And so as he's looking at this, he's saying, he defines for us, who is the vineyard? What is the vineyard all about? And the man of Judah, his pleasant plant. he looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Well, as you hold your finger there, we consider this prophecy that Isaiah is laying out. Hold your finger here and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, we have Jesus laying out for us a, a parable that we want to take a look at. A parable that we want to consider. Beginning in verse 33 of chapter 21. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard. He set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it. Built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country. Now, when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. But the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another again. He sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And they, the Pharisees, said to him, Well, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to another vine dressers who will render to him the fruit of their season. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him into powder. As Jesus tells the story of the vineyard, we can very clearly see, especially in light of Isaiah chapter 5, the vineyard is, is Israel, the house of Israel, and he talks about the, the vineyard owner. We know the vineyard owner is the father. That he sent his prophets, and he sent people to the children of israel to instruct them to teach them to guide them what did they do to them they kill them read acts chapter 7 stephen says which of the prophets haven't your your forefathers slain even isaiah is going to be sawn in two with a wooden saw by by manasseh king manasseh during his reign so the prophets are going to be slaughtered these whom the father sent and finally who will he send his son it's interesting that they say that Jesus said in the parable they took him outside the vineyard. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the city. Outside the city on a hill. On a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. That same place where a thousand years earlier Abraham had offered his son Isaac as a burnt offering to the Lord. But for he, the angel stopped him before the Father, God, His Son came to be that sacrifice, to be that Lamb, that promised Lamb, to take away the sin of the world. So we see when we go through Scripture and we look at the definitions in the Old Testament, they didn't change, right? The same vineyard still the same thing. It didn't become something else. We're going to hold that same definition as we go through. <coughs> now let's take a look at Psalm. Let's go to Psalm 80. Psalm chapter 80, here's what he says. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. By the way, the shepherd of Israel is a a title of deity. It was a phrase used of God, the shepherd of Israel. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, a good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, it was, again, a claim into deity. As we take a look, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who dwell between the cherubim shine forth. Now, if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, we've been studying about the tabernacle. Who is he who dwells between the cherubim? It's the Lord. God said, between the cherubim, that's where I'll meet you. So when the scripture talks about he who dwells between the cherubim, it's a a call for the Lord. It's God. It's God that meets them there. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, stir up your strength, come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved." For you have brought a vine out of Egypt, and you have cast out the nations and planted it. Now we see it twofold. If we consider the vineyard and this vine being the vineyard, where is it that God called the nation of Israel? He called them out of Egypt. But I think there's a deeper thing going on here as well. For Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And Jesus, the Scripture says, was called out of where? He was called out of Egypt. He was born in Bethlehem, fled to Egypt, remember, to hide from Herod as Herod destroyed the the little children, and then he was called forth from Egypt to Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth means the branch. And one of the other Messianic titles of Jesus is the branch of the root of the stem of Jesse. And we'll get into that a little further as we get into Isaiah, but... As we look at this vine, this vineyard, God called the people out of Egypt. The Lord brought His Messiah from Egypt as well. You prepared room for it. You caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills are covered with its shadow, and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges, so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The boars out of the wood uproots it, and the wild beasts of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, and visit this vine, and the vineyard which your right hand has planted. Consider that for a moment. The Bible tells us who is seated at the right hand of God? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and ever lives to make intercession for us. I, in Psalm, the psalmist says, the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It has been burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man who you made strong for yourself. And we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we will be saved. We see the same pictures. The vineyard being a picture of the nation. We see a little bit more about it. In the psalmist, the psalmist says it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that planted that vineyard. It's Jesus that that was a part of, of placing it. He was the right hand. That became the Son of Man, coming as in a messianic title as a Messiah, the Lamb of God, take away the sin of the world. All these things we see laid out for, indicated for us here in the scripture. So listen, when we look at things like that, one of the great ways that you can begin to sniff out error in the Bible is when people start making other definitions what something's all about oh you see here when the bible says vineyard what it really means is no when the bible talks about the vineyard it's talking about the house of israel that's what it means and it's going to mean that when we read about it in matthew and it's going to mean that when we read about it in the psalms it's going to mean that all the way through the scripture when you start hearing people give teaching and they start making all these other definitions and they're just random Sometimes you'll hear somebody come knock on your door and they'll just give you this random definition for something in the Scriptures. Hey, that's not the way that the Bible is interpreted. We allow the Bible to speak for itself. Where the Bible tells us what is meant in certain phrases. Where it doesn't tell us, we can speculate. Where it does, that's what we're going to hold fast to. That's what we're going to hold to as we go through. Now finally, let's, let's go to Romans chapter 11. And uh, as we look at Romans chapter 11, again, considering this parable of the vineyard, now read a little bit of this to you. It says, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, has God cast away His people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away His people who He foreknew, Or do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they killed your prophets and tore down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day." And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Well, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. As we look at what's going on with the with the nation of israel what happened to them in the past and and in some ways what's still going on with the nation of israel today the bible tells us that they're blinded what's that all about it's about this they refused to see they were given the plain word and they didn't believe the plain word so jesus said well i'm only going to speak to them in parables and when he spoke to them in parables he said if you want to remain blind then stay blind if you want to be hearing then be hearing He's given the people their choice. They have the freedom to choose whether they'll receive, whether they'll believe. And and what happens when God lays out His Word to us, it doesn't change someone's nature. It reveals their choice. Do you understand what I mean? It doesn't change who they are. If they are a person who loves the darkness, that is made evident when you turn on the light. The same light that shines and causes the birds to sing, also drives the rats to go hide. Now, the light didn't turn them into rats or into birds. They were rats and birds. They're, it's revealed in the light. It's revealed in God's Word. God's Word reveals our heart. And so, God will allow man to choose what he wants. Light or darkness. And that choice will define who He is and what He's all about. But the promises that we study about the nation of Israel, they're still for the nation of Israel. They will still see a king sit on the throne. They will still see Jerusalem be the center, the the place through which the world is governed. All those things are going to take place. And what God's laying out for us in Romans chapter 11 is there's always a remnant. There's always a group that believes. Even no matter how dark it is, how crazy it looks on the outside, there's always a remnant. There's always a group. There's always some that are going to be able to come through. So as we head back to to Isaiah chapter 5, as we take a look again, as the Lord delineates a little bit further into what's going on in the house of Israel, we want to realize, recognize, see in it our own society. Seeing it, our own failure, Seeing it the fact that we today are making the same choices Israel made then. The same things that led them to judgment will eventually lead us to judgment. But don't forget, what is it that withholds judgment? Why is God's judgment withheld here when in other places it wasn't withheld? Well, in Ezekiel... The Bible tells us that the Lord looks all around for anyone who will stand in the gap, for someone who is interceding for his nation. And he found none and judgment came. But for our own country, there are intercessors. The salt is still here. The church is here. The church is still praying. The church is still doing its work of preserving, of being a preservative in the world but that's not always going to be the case that won't always be the case and when that's not the case anymore when the church is is taken out of the way god's judgment is going to come just like it did in all these other ways but take a look at some of the aspects of this judgment as we look beginning in verse 8 of chapter 5 what are those who join house to house they add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. He gives a woe first to materialism. Woe to those who things are just not enough. they got to have this house, this house, this house, this land, this property, this place. They're constantly looking for more to add to themselves. This concept of, of being materialistically guided so that they can't even dwell in the midst of the land. It says, In my hearing the Lord of hosts says, Truly, Many houses shall be desolate, great and beautiful ones without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield one ephah. What he's saying is when the judgment comes, all that property, all that materialism, all that stuff, what's it mean? It's not going to mean much. It's not going to mean much. We have a saying in the church it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. The Bible says that one day Jesus lets go of this earth and everything burns. So if we have that materialism within us where, where our all in all is wrapped up in some thing, some car, some, some bike, some you know, house, uh, money, property, whatever it is, Jesus said not that those things are evil, but when they become our master, that's a problem. It's okay to have things. But your things should not rule over you. You should rule over them. And that's the difference. That's the difference between materialism or being materialistic and being one whose, whose eyes are focused on the Lord. So it's first woe. Woe to materialism. Well, I don't know a better way to describe the U.S. than materialism, but we'll see. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink who continue until night, till wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flute, the wine are in their feast, but they do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of His hands. The next woe, woe to hedonism, woe to alcoholism, woe to those who are looking for pleasure in these, the fruits of the earth, in the fruits of the vine, who are chasing this need for a fix they want that fix listen the bible has a lot to say about that in fact if you'll join me in proverbs chapter 23 just real quickly we'll uh we'll go through what the lord has to say about about strong drink in proverbs 23 verse 29 who has woe who has sorrow who has contentions who has complaints Who has wounds without cause or redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed drink, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly, for at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, your heart will utter perverse things, yes, and you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Or like one who lies on the top of a mass, saying, They struck me, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake that I might seek another drink? So the second woe that Isaiah gives is this woe, this woe to alcohol, this woe to hedonism, seeking pleasure in places outside of God. Folks, if we refuse to receive our satiation through a relationship with God we will discover that nothing else satisfies us. I met guys who looked for all kind of things to satisfy them, only to watch young men, 17, 18 years old, lose their life slamming dope in their bathroom because they just needed to feel better about everything. So they go crawl up in the bathroom, put that little rubber band around their arm, and they're slamming dope, slamming heroin. Heroin became the drug of choice again, even just a few years ago for people who want to forget, for people who want to seek that high. But what does that high do? I can't even tell you how many funerals for heroin addicts that I've, that I've been either to or done because it destroys, it kills. No different than alcohol, no different than any other drug or any other thing that we place in front of God saying, this is the thing that's going to satisfy me. I won't find my satisfaction with the Lord so I'm going to go on the internet and I'm going to go look at pornography on the internet thinking that that's going to bring satiation or satisfaction in my life. But all it's going to do is destroy. It's going to destroy me and everyone around me. We need to find that not in the seeking of pleasure, not in the seeking of what's going to make me happy, but realize what's going to make us happy is a better relationship with God a closer relationship with Him. So the second woe is a woe against hedonism. He goes on in verse 13, Therefore my people have gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore Sheol has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. Their glory, their multitude, and their pomp, and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. People shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty will be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness, and the lambs shall feed in their pasture, and in the waste places the fat ones, strangers, shall eat. He brings his third woe Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity, woe to those who flaunt their sin woe to those who draw iniquity draw sin with cords of vanity and sin as if it were a cart rope they say let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the holy one of israel draw near and come that we may know it they're so caught up in their sin they want to have a special parade so that they can get out in front of everybody and flaunt it and i'm not just speaking of gay pride parades i'm just talking about people that are caught up in sin and they want to say no this is not really sin it's okay for me to live this way they make that their banner and they'll wear that banner proudly is it very hard for you to walk down the street and see a rebel see someone who's in utter rebellion against god no why because they wear it all over their face everywhere and every way that they can why why does that happen? It's a natural progression of what sin does. It's taking a life. So they flaunt that sin. The third woe is a woe to those who flaunt their sin, who, who say, what, where's God? God isn't telling me this is wrong. I did this and lightning didn't strike me. So I can do it again, right? <clears throat> I mean, if it was wrong, God would have smote me. We don't understand the long suffering of the Lord. He goes on again. The fourth woe. He says, Now woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to the inverted moral code, those who say good is evil and evil is good. Folks, I don't know if you know that, but we're in the midst of that world right now. The world, they, they made an accusation to the disciples. They said at one time that the disciples had turned the world upside down. They got it backwards the disciples turned the world upside right it was upside down before that it's not uh upside right now it's upside down when good is called evil and evil is called good when people will will stand up and clamor for their right for abortion so that they can take the life of the unborn as though that's okay how can they how can they come to that meanwhile Just the same person the next day is going to be picketing to save the whales. But they'll slaughter the babies. Why? Because they've swapped good for evil, evil for good. Hey, I'm more than happy to save the whales, but I don't think they're of more value than those children. Have you ever considered what humanity has lost in the lives of the unborn? We struggle today with diseases running rampant that no one knows a cure for. And who's to say the one who held the cure wasn't aborted in the, in the genocide of the unborn? Well, we don't know. The Jews look upon a life that is taken as though the whole world has lost so much because you've lost everything that that person would ever bring, would ever do, what how that person would affect anyone else you take a life you change the world you change it but our world says good is evil and evil is good that light is darkness and darkness is light there's this book that came out written by an atheist that that actually at the culmination of this book the, they had a movie out a little while ago i think it's called the golden compass but at the culmination of this series of books Man kills God. And God no longer is able to rule over him. And in that movie, the kids went and watched, instead of having a guardian angel, you know what you had? Guardian demon. A guardian demon that guided you and directed you away from the light, which was really evil, and into the darkness, which was really good. The Bible said... Woe to those who will call good evil and evil good. And we see the same things that were going on in Israel happening today. What do you mean? Hey, they sacrificed their children too. They followed pagan ideals and worshiped false gods. All those things were still happening. Just like we see here, that fourth woe. The inverted... uh, moral code then in verse 21 woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight so that next woe the the fifth woe goes to woe to those who go their own way they've got their own plans the bible says there is a way that seems right to a man but that way leads to death bible calls us to call upon the lord and the lord will direct our feet guide our steps so that we walk the way He wants us to walk. So this fifth woe is of those who, who are walking their own way, making their own decisions. Folks, the world is full of people who make decisions every day, many believers within the body who never even consider seeking God's guidance prior to a decision. Because, hey, I'm wise. I know what I'm doing. I don't need, I don't need to, to fall back on something so archaic as to pray before I make a decision. I, I'm, I got this one, God. Hey, I've done it. We're all capable of doing those things. This fifth woe is a woe pointed at those who are gonna make their own way. They're gonna follow their own wisdom and not seek the wisdom of God. Then we come to the sixth woe Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Again, woe to men who are mighty at drinking wine. What is the first thing when you were drinking? in the B.C. days that you would say to somebody, <clears throat> we're sitting around drinking some beer, watching a football game, and the next thing you know we're talking, well, I, I mean, I, I could drink about a 12-pack, or I'm a six-pack, or I'm a case. I drink a case all day. I'm fine. What are we doing? We're boasting in our ability the, to absorb all, this, all the poison we can, and, and we're saying, oh, we're mighty in drink. Mighty in drink. Those who boast about their ability to to sin, to do things that lead them away from, from God's blessing. And I don't know about you guys, but I very clearly I, I saw that in my life. <clears throat> and it's funny how one time it was a six pack was enough, then it was a half-rack, then it was a case, then it was a couple of cases, then it was, you know, a big problem. Woe <laughs> to those. Woe to those who are mighty in intoxicating drink. The sixth woe. Then we come to the seventh. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. So that seventh woe. Woe to him that perverts justice. Have you ever seen perverted justice? Have you ever seen something in our courts that go sideways it's like how did that happen how did we get from here to there woe to those who pervert justice the seventh woe folks if we look at these seven woes that isaiah lays out you find one that don't fit our nation you find one that don't fit our community you find one that don't fit in in the places where we live and the people that we know and the things that we do hey the word that god brought through isaiah for for the The nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, is still relevant to us today. So what withholds God's judgment? The church. The church praying. The church interceding. The church being salt. Will that always be the case? No. God will judge. He is righteous. He will do what is right. That day is going to come. So as we take a look at this we see Isaiah lay out seven woes. Woe, woe, woe. Therefore, in verse 24, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. What was it that started the people on this path? Rejection of the Word of God. What is it that started our nation on this path? Rejection of the Word of God. At one time, the Word of God ruled and governed. At one time, the Word of God... I don't care care what none of them moronic politicians have to say. They'll stand in their little room, and they'll give this speech about how we're not really founded on Christian principles, and in the room that they stand... In the engraving, in the concrete walls around that building are Bible verses. Well, how'd they get there? Because the forefathers put them there when they built the building. Folks, I can tell you when that building was built. And it wasn't when this last president came or the one before him. It was built back with the forefathers. On Christian principles. And our forefathers said, this nation will only stand as long as they allow the Bible to rule and to guide the nation. And in our country today, you can't even have the Ten Commandments in a classroom. Why? Is it wrong to tell kids, thou shalt not steal? What's the problem? We don't want to offend anyone. In case we have little thieves, we don't want to tell them, thou shalt not steal? We don't want them to know and to to have the truth listen what happened in israel and in judah is happening still what do we learn from history folks what is the thing that history teaches us history teaches us if men don't learn from history they will repeat history how many countries have we seen rise into power rule the world be this powerful nation and watch it crumble Sit down and think about all the different ones you can think of. At one time, they used to say that the sun never sets on the British Empire. Who, what British Empire today? Is there a British Empire? Is there a Roman Empire? Is there a Grecian Empire? What happened to all those? They rotted. They fell apart. They disintegrated. And the same thing is going to take place with the next world power. And as the world comes together under one man, it's going to happen to them too. Until Jesus rules and reigns. The problem that they had is a rejection of the law of the Lord. When we talk about the law of the Lord, specifically we're looking at the first five books of the Bible. But overall, we're talking about the entire book, the word of the Holy One of Israel. They have rejected. Therefore, the anger of the Lord is aroused against His people, and He has stretched out His hand against them, stricken them, and the hills trembled. Their their carcasses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Do you catch that? Because you're going to say the same thing in the book of Romans. All day long, God says, I reach out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. While his anger is hot and mankind is in a place of judgment, the nation of Judah specifically coming to judgment, what would happen if they called out upon the name of the Lord? They'd be saved. That's how it works. Judgment comes, but God's not withholding His hand. With that judgment, His hand is still outstretched. And whosoever will take His hand, He's going to be fine. No matter what the situation that brought Him to that point, don't forget, the most important thing to the Lord is that you spend eternity with Him. Whatever He has to do for that to happen, that's what He'll do. So that we will take that hand, so that we'll receive that hand. He goes on verse 26, He will lift up up a banner to the nations from afar. Now He's talking about Babylon. That's the nation that's going to come in judgment. And will whistle to them from the end of the earth. Surely they shall come with speed and swiftly. No one will be weary or stumble among them. No one will slumber or sleep. "...nor will the belt on their loins be loosed, nor the strap of their sandals be broken, whose arrows are sharp and all their bows bent. Their horses' hooves will seem like flint and their wheels like a whirlwind. Their roaring will be like the lion. They will roar like young lions. Yes, they will roar and lay hold of the prey. They will carry it away safely and no one will deliver. In that day they will roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and sorrow and the light will be darkened by the clouds. Listen, God is laying out through Isaiah that this judgment is coming. Now, it's not there yet. Later on, we'll study the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah would tell the people over and over and over again, hey, God's not withholding His judgment. His judgment is coming. You will go into bondage. Jeremiah said, put down your swords and accept this judgment from the Lord, and you're all going to live. But the people proclaimed him as a false prophet. No one ever listened. The people rose up to do battle against Nebuchadnezzar. And three times, not once, three times Nebuchadnezzar went back and wiped him out. They didn't have to die. They could have listened. They could have heard. They could have accepted the word. But what, where do we go back to? What was the beginning of the problem? They rejected the word of God. They rejected God from ruling over them, they rejected God's ability to to chastise His people, not for their destruction. Remember, after God brings this judgment, there's no more idol worship, and the the people all go back to the land again. And if they'd have done it God's way, they'd have gone back to a temple that wasn't destroyed, to friends and family that were still living there. But they rejected the word of God, and it brought more hassle folks in our lives we reject god's word what, what do we think is going to happen to us if i reject god's word and i say no that's not what god's word says that's not what god's worth teaching my sins okay we begin to do all these things all these seven woes we begin to walk in those seven woes and we're going to experience loss too not because god hates us or god wants to hurt us God wants to save us. And if we stay down that track, I can tell you where that road ends. I can tell you where it comes. young man named Jordan, he uh, grew up with my little brother. I remember when I was a teenager, he was a pretty cute little kid, you know. You look at little kids and you never think nothing bad ever going to come of them. They're not going <clears> to <throat> do anything. They're always going to be that innocent person, right? We got into high school and someone introduced him to heroin. And he struggled with heroin his whole life. Finally, at last, he came home and he said, Mom, Dad, I just got to kick it. I just got to get off of this. So, Can I come home and, and will you guys help me get off of, of heroin? They said, Sure, sure, we'll help you. They brought him in. They set him up in his room. He was going to counseling. He was working on all these things. Everything seemed to be fine. One morning... Dwayne, his dad, he went down to open up the bathroom. He couldn't open up the bathroom. Something was in front of the door. And so a father got to pry open a door to see his son dead on the floor with a needle in his arm. And we want to complain about God's judgment. Hey, God's judgment changes us. The sad news is, folks, we need to go through uh, the affliction, the furnace of affliction, if we want our lives to stay on track. Because when everything just stays normal, what are the wages of sin? Death. Every single time. So I praise God that God does things, sometimes drastic things in my life, to get my attention, to help me focus on Him, to draw near to Him, because I know ultimately what He's doing is saving me. And I trust Him. I don't know about you, but there's never been another person ever in my life who took a beating for me. Who had his back flayed open, his skin ripped off his body, his beard plucked from his face. Should have died in the beating, went to the cross to become my sin. Not to bear my sin, he became my sin and then died so that sin was judged. He who knew no sin we will never in, a, in the millennia of time to follow when we're with the Lord, we'll never run out of time to be blown away by what He sacrificed to be that for us. Amen. We can trust Him. We can trust that God's going to do His perfect work in us and through us. But if we want to walk in the way that God's calling us, what we need to realize is the first false step down that path is rejecting his word isaiah brought us word tonight let's not reject what he brought let's receive it allow it to do its work and move forward amen Amen. why don't you stand with me let's pray heavenly father lord god we thank you for this time we just come before you god we pray that Father, you would uh, just establish us, Father God, on your word. Lord, we are heartbroken for our nation, for where we started and where we are. But we're also thankful, Lord, that that when when you came to Abraham and told him of the destruction of Sodom, when Abraham said, if there are 50 righteous, would you still destroy the city? Lord, you said no. Because when we intercede, when we shine the light, We do that work. The work of the righteous. And God withholds His judgment. And as God withholds His judgment, people have time. Time to turn. Time to change. Time to consider the path that we're on and seek that path that leads to everlasting life. Lord, we pray, God, that You would do that work in us. Guide us, lead us, direct us, Lord Jesus. Help us to bear witness to our friends and family, Father, of what you want to do, how you love, how you want to bring life. And Father, help us not to be discouraged. Not to be discouraged when we come into hard times or when we face difficult things. But help us, Lord, to just draw near you. For God, you said that you will be the strength That we need to stand. That you would strengthen feeble knees. And the arms that hang down. That you will help us be who we're called to be. That you will bring out of us. The best. The best that we can be for you. So God do that work. And let us not lose heart. But rather let us. Hold on to your hand. For no matter what the storm brings you can carry us through and father we put all our faith and trust in you do your perfect work in jesus name amen